slot machines, blackjack and roulette wheels, poker, bingo, and sports betting, powerball, lotto, and scratch games. If it involves an element of chance and you can bet money on it, you can count on it being turned into a form of gambling. What once was the domain of organized crime, because it was illegal, has become mainstream, being sponsored by governments and offered 24 by 7 and endless varieties on the internet. But what does the Bible say about gambling? Scripture-based answers to this question are just up ahead on today's podcast. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holy Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Brian, one of your co-hosts, and along with me as usual is Jeff. Jeff, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Brian. How are you doing today? <laughs> great, great. So, Jeff, today we're going to be talking about a subject that most would probably say, well, gambling's bad, you shouldn't do it, right? And <laughs> But yet, as we kind of alluded to in the teaser, uh, as the world does with many things, they found so many creative ways to get people to part with their money, right? So exactly. it's a very important subject. Well, and as you said, it's so many different forms and the ease of access. I mean, you know, it used to be that you had to go somewhere, like you had to go to Las Vegas, for instance, or you had to organize an illegal, you know, uh, poker game, you know, for, for, for money. But now a couple clicks on your computer and I can be playing slot machines. I can be playing online poker. I can be betting on the horses. I can be, you know, whatever, you know, you name it. And it's, you know, it's a click away. And as a result, it's something that's serious, right? That we should we should look at. And I think where some of the questions might come in for Christians, like we kind of alluded to early on, you know, most would say, well, gambling's wrong, you know, it's pretty straightforward. But yet when it comes to playing the lottery or when it comes to people justifying the money they spend on gambling to say, well, that's just money I set aside for entertainment anyway. So, you know, these are some of the questions that we want to consider today. We just want to look at what does the Bible say about gambling? Because at the end of the day, it really all that matters is what God thinks, right? right. So I think, you know, we would all agree that the, the devil can package sin to look so attractive, right? We, we know this. And, you know, Jesus even said the devil presents himself as an angel of light. And in fact, in episode 37, Jeff, we did a pretty comprehensive episode on the devil. And so just want to encourage our listeners, if you haven't listened to that podcast, do so because we just really share with you what the Bible says specifically about the devil and how he does do things like, you know, pack, packaging sin to make it look attractive. For instance, it's not gambling. It's just gaming. It's just having some fun. That's what the devil wants you to think. Oh, you're just doing, it's just gaming. It's not a big deal. Or, you know, think about the thrill of the win. Oh, it's so great when somebody wins. In fact, I don't know if it's like this now, Jeff, but I do know one time in casinos, people would win coins, I guess, or tokens or something. And and they would have metal trays so that when somebody hit the jackpot, it's, you know, falling into this tray and making all kinds of racket. And I remember reading, well, they do that because of the thrill of the win. They want everyone to know, hey, somebody just won. Because then that now puts you into the mindset of, well, I can win next. I know I'm going to win. They don't want, to, want you to think about the agony of defeat, right? They don't want you to think about the fact that you just spent <laughs> the food money uh, this week on gambling. Uh, just think about the thrill of the win. So anyhow, you know, when you think about the attractive nature of gambling and wealth, no doubt it's, you know, winning, gaining a large sum of money or some other prize. Uh, for relatively little investment. So it sounds so appealing, doesn't it? Right. Well, and, and you use that word investment, and I know some people you know, will use that term. Um, but as we often say, the house always wins <laughs> one way or another. That's right. That's why those casinos are so large and beautiful. Well, exactly. In fact, you know, here in Colorado, oh, I can't remember, a couple decades ago, I guess, where they initially legalized gambling in a couple of the mountain towns that, you know, started off, you know, somewhat run downtowns and older historical buildings. And, and I haven't, I think I've been through the those towns, you know, maybe once or twice, and they put in these massive 
casinos and these massive hotels. Uh, and, you know, well, this money's coming from somewhere and it's coming from the little old ladies and the guys and the girls and the, that are, you know, spending their money. And like I said, the house always wins. The other thing you mentioned uh, with, the, you know, the metal trays and such, you know, there's, there's an interesting, and I haven't studied this, but I have heard this. There's an interesting psychological aspect of this with gaming and gambling and whatever that, you know, you're doing some stuff and once in a while you get that positive feedback. Oh, and it's somewhat random. So you can't quite tell when it's going to happen. But when it does happen, there's lights, there's bells, there's sounds, there's buzzers, there's all kinds of colorful things. And you can kind of see this with some of the um, ads for online uh, gambling and slot machines and whatever. There's just a lot of visual and uh, sound, you know, stimulus, right? To kind of draw you in to this, you know, take an action and you get, you know, pleasure, kind of a feedback loop. Yeah, drawing and reinforcement. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of, as you said, you know, positive reinforcement uh, with, you know, the money pouring out of the tray and the bells and the whistles are going off, et cetera. And it's, it's probably a reason why gambling is such a big deal. And when I say big deal, I did a little bit of research out on the Internet. Uh, and it was a little challenging to find something. But I did find one website uh, that gave some statistics, at least as of 2016 which was a little surprising slash shocking to me. So overall, the amount of money spent worldwide in 2016 on gambling of all the different kinds of forms, etc., $400 billion. $400 billion, of which at that point in 2016, $50 billion was online. Uh, you roll forward to, I did find a, 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 st a statistic of 2020, four years later, uh, that 50 billion online had grown to 60 billion. And I suspect it'll probably continue to, you know, skyrocket over time. Uh, a couple interesting little tidbits, the average loss per adult, uh, the greatest loss per adult happens to be in Australia, upwards of a thousand dollars per adult. Uh, here in the U.S., maybe not as much, you know, $500 per adult. You say, well, $500, that's not that much. But, you know, if you factor in roughly 200 million adults, you know, over the age of 18, that's $100 billion people are giving up <laughs> voluntarily. You mean they have an average loss? They don't have an average one per adult? <laughs> no, no. Well, and it, and you don't, you can't, because the house always wins. That in and of itself is pretty telling, isn't it? It is. I mean, where does the money come to build these, you know, very extravagant, you know, casinos? Where does the money come to set up these, you know, uh, horse racetracks? Where does the money come from to build all these, you know, internet-based applications that allow you to, you know, gamble, et cetera? Nope, nope. The house always wins. And of course, as you mentioned in our intro, I mean, you name it, we can turn it into gambling. Right? You know, scratch games, horses, dog tracks, uh, bingo, real sports betting. And now I understand there's a fantasy sports betting uh, capability that you can bet on fantasy teams. Uh, and of course, get money back. But more often than not, you're, uh, you know, you're losing um, something interesting I found, and, and unfortunately it's, it's kind of sad that as you kind of said at the beginning, this used to be the domain of, you know, organized crime and the vice squad and, you know, shady smoke filled rooms where people were playing, you know, poker illegally. Well, guess who's got in on the action, the state right? and governments. Um, and are now in many ways looking to gambling as a source of revenue, source of taxation, et cetera. Uh, according to the Rockefeller Institute of Government, a study was published back in 2016, uh, the amount of revenue that, at least I think within the United States, uh, that is being gathered mainly from state-sponsored lottery and either state-sponsored or state-taxed casinos, $30 billion. 
Now, someone in the audience might say, hey, that's great. That's all this extra revenue we're getting. It was like, well, wait a minute. Where's it coming from? Again, it's coming from individuals that are basically throwing $30 billion away uh, through you know, gambling. Yeah. And honestly, Brian, it's, it's more than money. I mean, you know, money's a big deal, or a significant part of it, uh, and the greed that goes with it. But there's also a dark side to gambling, which even the world acknowledges. Uh, I found a website, uh, interesting uh, title, uh, website itself was, you know, Modern Gentleman was the name of the website. They had some gambling statistics. Uh, and on the negative side, uh, at least according to their polling, uh, roughly 2% of people are classified as either problem gamblers or gamblers that have a moderate risk with the potential of losing control and to continue gambling with even in the face of negative consequences and i think you you mentioned it earlier you know gambling away the household spending money gambling away you know the the budget that we have for food you know for the next whatever you know person gets his paycheck and instead of spending it on rent and other things you know they go and gamble it you know, there is that addiction aspect of it. Uh, the same website, 32% of the people believe that children shouldn't be exposed to gambling and that protecting them should be an important policy issue. 41% think that setting a stake limit on machines should be an important policy issue. 71% believe gambling can affect family life negatively. 79% said they believe there are simply too many opportunities for gambling in today's society. And these are world, you know, worldly people. The other thing I found, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, because you know, here in Colorado, you know, we have lottery, we have casinos, we have, you, know, you name it. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700, right? And that's a real legitimate phone number. Well, I looked it up. That happened, and you hear those on the ads. You know, wonderful, come to our casino, da 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 da. You know, go play the lottery. You could become an instant William millionaire. Got a gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 That is the National Problem Gambling Hotline. National Problem Gambling Hotline, Helpline, etc. It's a legitimate number. So even the people in the world recognize, you know, this is a significant pitfall. Any thoughts, Brian, before we uh, move on? Yeah, and one one easy trap that people can fall into is, well, I know other people have problems with it, but I'm in control. It's not a problem for me. Or if you don't have some of these more serious issues, like what you're talking about, like spending the entire paycheck on gambling, well, then it's not a problem. I'm only spending a few dollars, right? So anyways, we'll get more into that, but really to uh, justify. Exactly. Now, I think now might be a good point with, with our listeners to sort of pause because we've been citing all kinds of examples but we haven't really defined it, uh, gambling. And here's where we're in kind of an interesting situation because uh, to my knowledge with translations, I'm not aware of a scripture that uses the term, quote unquote, gambling. So we have to kind of, uh, we can't refer back to a Greek word or we can't refer back to a Bible definition. So we have to refer to a modern definition. Uh, I've got two here. The first one is Merriam-Webster, the, the dictionary. Quote, the practice or activity of betting, the practice of risking money or other stakes in a game or bet. Okay. Second definition comes from Wikipedia. Gambling, also known as betting, is the wagering of money or something of value, referred to as the stakes, on an event with uncertain outcome with the primary intent of winning money or material good goods. Gambling thus requires, and I like this, and this is a quote, gambling thus requires three elements to be present. Number one, a consideration or the amount wagered. Number two, risk or chance. And number three, prize. So now we have, you know, kind of, you know, gambling, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, you know, defined as, again, you know, some kind of wagering, some kind of betting, where I've got some kind of money I'm putting up, some kind of risk, and again, some kind of chance for winning a prize. Now, with that definition from Wikipedia, public definition, would it include, for instance, charity raffles uh, or other quote-unquote good causes where the proceeds go? Well, according to Wikipedia, does it involve a consideration, an amount wagered, risk, and a prize? 
Well, Brian, <laughs> the answer would be yes. Uh, but, you know, some people might object saying, well, wait a minute, but isn't it for a good cause? And, you know, arguably it might be for a good cause, but really do the ends justify the means? And, of course, that, that's a very um, important thing to uh, consider. You know, why not just solicit the donations? Why not just solicit the funds you know, for, you know, a charity, a good cause? Well, honestly, it's because people know that they can tap into a certain element of greed to get more money from people on the chance that they might win a prize or whatever. Brian, I think you got a, a few thoughts also about, you know, gambling under this under this topic. Yeah, you know, some of the reasons I've heard or rationalizations over the years I've heard about gambling or justifying gambling. Uh, one is, you know, isn't gambling just another form of entertainment, like spending money to go to the movies, playing golf, going bowling, uh, you know, paying to attend a sporting event or spending money on a hobby? Well, based on the definition that you just raised, <laughs> there's a difference. Right. And that is when we are spending money to purchase a good or service, we're receiving something of value in return. It's an exchange, right? There you go. An exchange, right? We have a maybe a right to bowl on an alley for a couple of games or, you know, we're entertained by the sporting event we're attending and so forth. When we gamble, we are risking money. We're certainly not guaranteed any money in return. In fact, the odds, as you said, the house always wins, right? The odds are against us to win it all. And so if you think about it, you're really not purchasing anything other than a chance to win the money that others have contributed, which you know is an important principle we'll talk more about later, this idea of others. And you've alluded to it already some, Jeff. Now, some may try to argue that, you know, hey, they're receiving the thrill of the chance to win a prize or a larger amount in return that they spent. So therefore, they are receiving something tangible in their eyes, right, in return for what they spent. And so in their eyes, it's also no different than going to an exciting movie. Well, no doubt, you know, this thrill of victory that we touched on earlier may be worth gambling some money on in some people's eyes. Uh, but as I think we would all agree, there, there are other spiritual principles we need to consider before we can just claim that it's the same as some other form of entertainment. So that's, of course, why we have to go to the Bible to say, well, does that argument hold up or not? Or, you know, kind of both these arguments. Some will also try to justify the money they spend on gambling by saying something like, well, you know, I'm simply spending money that I would have otherwise spent on bowling, a sporting event, et cetera. Therefore, I am not spending any more money than I plan to spend. Now, I remember somebody giving me this argument once when I found out they were playing poker for money. It was a Christian. This is years ago. And I confronted him about it in a good way, you know, just asking him, hey, do you really think that's something that Christians should be doing? And this was the rationale that they gave me. Well, my wife and I agreed that I will spend X amount a week on hobbies or entertainment. And so that's all I'm spending. I will not spend any more than that. Okay, so then is it just about how are you spending your money? So, you know, we can choose our to spend our money on a majority of things. And we really do have the freedom to spend it on almost anything we want. But at the same time, we all understand that to use money to buy alcohol or drugs or any other ungodly vice or sinful practice, it's just not appropriate for spiritual reasons. If gambling has the same characteristics of other godly recreational events or products, then you might be able to make that argument. But just like with the argument that gambling is just another form of entertainment, there are other spiritual principles we need to consider before we claim the two are the same. And that's the key, you know, covetousness. There's other things that we'll talk about here shortly, but just a lot of other factors, right, or spiritual principles, Jeff, that we need to think about, don't we? Right. And, you know, I like some of these rationalizations. You know, it's almost along the same lines of, well, everyone's doing it. And oh, by the way, it's now legal, so I'm not breaking the law, and I'm only you know spending some quote unquote discretionary money, and you know I can control myself, and you know I'd never become uh, you know addicted to gambling, et cetera, and all these various rationalizations. But as you alluded to, and we'll get into this you know a little bit later on about some of the various biblical principles. I mean, even though the words not in the Bible, some various biblical principles. That would say, well, these rationalizations really don't hold water because you're really violating, again, some of these uh, basic principles. Hey, Brad, but what about people, and, and you used, to, used the word before or earlier in the podcast, investing. You know, I know there are some people that will say, well, 
you know, you're against gambling, but what about investing in the stock market? Isn't that a form of gambling? And, you know, since you invest in the stock market, you know, and you're speaking against gambling, you know, therefore you must be a hypocrite or you must be wrong. Can you sort that out? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Certainly on the surface, you know, if you look at buying something and it going up in value or may not go up in value, some might attribute that or make it sound similar to gambling. But really, investing in a stock is literally becoming part owner of a company. So whether you buy one share or a thousand shares, you have the same rights as every other shareholder. And that is you get to do things like vote on the directors who run the company. Then when you start looking at things like profitability and shareholder value and a host of other metrics, really the market ultimately determines the appropriate amount of money that investors are willing to pay for that share of stock. And it's kind of a complex formula. I found it pretty fascinating years ago studying, you know, what goes into a share price. And, you know, some of it is no doubt real technical metrics, but sometimes it's emotion and other things. And I think that's where this confusion can come in. Like for instance, somebody says, I like Nike or Starbucks or some other name brand. And, and you know, I buy it because of the name. Well, they're not necessarily looking at the metrics as the reason why they buy it. But the key here is that, you know, when you buy a share of stock and, you know, you get that share of stock for the money that you paid for, you have a tangible asset. And so it's not like gambling. It's not a prize. You're physically buying a part of that company. Now, wise investors, you know, as we just talked about, look at the performance of the company. They might look at it over a period of time. You know, they might look at things like price earning ratios and, you know, different metrics that will help them to determine if it's a good investment. Other investors that we touched on may trade because they like what the company stands for. They like the products they offer. They like the name Nike or whatever. And it may have nothing to do with metrics. Unwise investors may be trade because they heard a rumor this company is about to do X and that's really going to cause the stock to go up in value. And that's why there are many laws around when you find out confidential information about a company, you're not allowed to trade on that if FTC and other commissions determine that it would have given you a competitive advantage to have this information, then they're going to consider it illegal for you to buy stock based on that. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole of <laughs> the stock market, uh, but as we'll see in this episode, you know, uh, our mindset goals and consideration for others are really key principles that we need to think about here and not simply try to look at analogous things like is the stock market analogous to gambling? And it's not because it doesn't meet those requirements, Jeff, that you read earlier. So anyhow, let me turn it over to you for any thoughts on that. Right. And I would agree, although even within the stock market, there are some types of things you can buy and certainly attitudes that you can start to develop that you know would certainly be in the direction of of gambling you know high risk highly leveraged and in fact i think one of the questions we'll have at the very end you know kind of focuses on some of these uh things that you know if it's not gambling it sure looks like it <laughs> yeah like well options is one stock options for the listeners that are familiar with that you got to be really careful with that because you in essence are placing a bet for lack of a better term on the performance of that company in the future and sometimes it's for them to fail and you to gain when they fail. So anyhow, it gets gets pretty complicated. Yeah, good point. And as we'll mention a little bit later on, a lot of it involves uh, our attitude and why we're doing it and aspects of, you know, greed or, you know, taking away from others what they wouldn't normally be willing to give us <laughs> because we want it, <laughs> et cetera. Right. Which kind of, you know, again, speaking about biblical principles. So let's kind of shift gears slightly uh, and look at, from a biblical perspective, you know, various legitimate ways of acquiring possessions, money, and wealth. Uh, and in essence, you know, from from my research and, and reading others, uh, there's basically three, uh, three legitimate you know, recognized reasons uh, or uh, ways of acquiring wealth. First is labor. And we see that very early on, you know, Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19, you know, one of the curses pronounced upon Adam was that he would need to labor and toil and sweat, right? You know, actually work to gain something. We see that illustrated in a couple of different places. Uh, one is in Luke chapter 12, beginning roughly verse 16, where it talks about the ground of a certain rich man, you know, brought forth plentifully. 
So he was a farmer, uh, had sowed crop, and the ground produced a whole lot. And again, a, a legitimate way uh, through labor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So, obviously, labor. Number two, exchange. Matthew chapter 25, verse 9, talks about you know buying and selling. Uh, James, likewise, chapter 4, verse 13, says, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue, continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Uh, again, within both contexts, this sort of concept of you know buying and selling, etc., a legitimate form of acquiring you know property and possessions, money, wealth, etc., and Brian, like you were alluding to with the stock market, that's that's kind of what you know buying and selling of stocks is. You know, it's a portion of the company. Buy when you think the stock is going to go up because of the company's reputation, et cetera. You know, perhaps later, you know, selling it. Similar with buying and selling real estate or buying and selling a business. Again, exchange. A willing buyer and a willing seller <laughs> exchanging. Third is uh, acquiring things through love, gifts, uh, a charity. And of course, we saw that in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-eight, where you know those who have can give to those who uh, don't. Brian, uh, here's a passage I'd like you to read for our listeners over in First Timothy chapter six, uh, verses seventeen through nineteen, if you would please. Uh, sure. Here it says, "Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good." that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So in, in a small nutshell, we have three legitimate ways of, of making money or increasing one's possessions through labor, through exchange, and through you know gifts, if you will. Now, if I contrast that with gambling, well, gambling doesn't really fit. Uh, gambling really falls more under a certain mentality, as you say, of you know getting something for nothing or a lot for a little. <laughs> In some ways, gambling is almost like theft by consent. Uh, whether you're playing poker, you know, for money with your friends, or you know, sitting at a blackjack table betting against the house, uh, you know, it's something you're getting something that someone wouldn't normally give you. And it's certainly not a labor, it's not an exchange, et cetera. So, you know, from a principal's perspective, in terms of legitimate ways, gambling doesn't seem to fit. Uh, but more importantly, as we've kind of alluded to as we've been going through the podcast, there are certain uh, scriptural principles regarding wealth and our attitudes about wealth. And you know, we've kind of mentioned this word already, greed, covetousness, if you want the fancy form. A lot of scriptures that'll talk about that. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, he that is greedy of gain troubles his own house. Acts 20, verse 33, talks about coveting uh, silver, gold, or apparel. Jesus himself said, take heed and beware of covetousness or greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And then, of course, he goes on to describe the rich uh, farmer that I mentioned earlier, rich but greedy, and the relative emphasis that he put on acquiring his wealth and taking care of himself, but not being rich toward God. That's verses uh, 16 through 21. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, uh, this sense of greed prevents this uh, sense of contentment. Again, Hebrews 13, let your conduct be without covetousness, there's our word, but be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, though the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. And Brian, uh, if you would, why don't you go ahead and read for our listeners, First uh, Timothy chapter six, verses six through 10, which occurs just before the uh, the previous reading you did. Here it says, now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root or a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves 
through with many sorrows. And as I said earlier, you know, the word gambling is not in the scriptures. But if you think of gambling and a lot of the attitudes around gambling and what often happens with gambling, etc., there you go. First Timothy chapter six, verses six through ten. Especially that phrase, for the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we'll talk, you know, I think a little bit later about you know, like at least in some of the environments you find yourself in, you know, with gambling, all kinds of other forms of evil uh, involved as well. Brian, any uh, thoughts about the kinds of you know acquiring wealth and, and biblical principles and attitudes we should have? Yeah, the Bible does make it clear different ways that we can acquire wealth. So appreciate you covering all that in detail. And then as you mentioned, contrast, right? Does gambling not only offer us the same way to acquire wealth? No, we know that, right? But the mindset, the what is the fruit you see from the attitudes of those who gamble? And, you know, when I look at the mindset of a gambler, they look at casinos as an exciting atmosphere. In addition to gambling, oftentimes there's like drinking. And Jeff, you were touching on earlier, you know, kind of like the psychology around gambling. I remember reading an article one time where it talked about how, for instance, casinos don't have clocks. Right, I've heard that. Because they don't want people to know what time it is. It's always well lit. Uh, Often people that drink, I guess if you gamble enough, you drink for free. I don't know. But there's all these, they they put a lot into the atmosphere. So you can kind of, in your own mind, get away from it all, lose track of how much you're losing or drinking or whatever. Uh, so when you look at just that in and of itself, you can tell, well, that's not a place where a Christian should want to be. But yet to the gambler, it's an exciting atmosphere. In fact, I remember going to some meetings uh, in Las Vegas, which here in America is kind of one of our primary gambling cities. And, you know, these meetings would be held in conference centers of casinos. I mean, uh, you know, it's not just casinos. They have very large conference centers. I just remember I'll never forget how they make you walk through the casino to get to the meeting rooms. And that's done on purpose. So you go from your hotel room, they force you to go through the casino to the meeting rooms. Otherwise, we would just avoid that area altogether, right? Well, anyhow, I bring this up because speaking of atmosphere, we were talking about the noise and bells and whistles earlier. You know, I remember how that it would get to be very, you could tell something's going on. What's going on? You'd look over, there's people cheering and yelling and go, go, go. Once again, exciting atmosphere. Somebody's winning. Everybody's happy for them. How could that be a bad thing? (laughs) Well, consider the company, consider the environment and all of that, right? So uh, as the Bible touches on, we have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Well, with gambling, you see all three of those. And, you know, oftentimes gamblers will justify. We kind of touched on a couple of the reasons or arguments that were made earlier about people only spending so much money and it's just like entertainment and blah, 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 right? So now the mindset of a gambler is to justify the reason it's okay for them to gamble. One of them you touched on, Jeff, and that is, you know, charity, right? It's going for good causes. For instance, you know, the gambling revenues in this state go towards parks, They've built recreation centers. They have definitely done a lot of good with the money that has come from gambling. But this is one of those scenarios where the end doesn't justify the means. And it becomes a path to other sins. So go to any city where there's gambling. And what you're going to find is drugs and prostitution, certainly alcohol and alcoholism. Organized crime often moves in. Why? Because there's an opportunity for them to make money. And then there's this idea of covetousness. And when you think about, you know, what you were talking about, Jeff, as far as what's the mindset, right? And and if your mindset is to desire, like, for instance, covetousness, when you look at a definition according to Strong's Greek dictionary, it means avarice, which is extreme greed for wealth or material gain, fraudulency, extortion, greediness. Those are all words I think we would realize are not qualities that a Christian should have. And Luke 12, verse 15 says, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And from covetousness, we get ridiculous statements like, he who dies with the most toys wins. Right. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? (laughs) Because you take nothing with you, as we just read, right? 
<laughs> no, it doesn't. It's like he who dies with the most toys still dies <laughs> and then has to face eternity, right? He still dies and his toys are still there <laughs> behind. Right. You know, we were talking, you just had me read, Jeff, first uh, Timothy 6, 6 through 12. And a couple things I just wanted to highlight. One is, as we just said, right, we brought nothing into this world. Certain we can carry nothing out, verse 7. Verse 8 tells us with food and clothing, be content. So should we continually want more? No. Verse 9, you know, those who desire to be rich, well, lots of bad things come from that. It talks about harmful lust and how it drowns them in destruction. Why? Well, because as you touched on, Jeff, the love of money. It's not money, but the love of money, that desire for money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'll give you one example I've seen throughout my life that that I see a lot with Christians. Like all these things we're talking about, most Christians, they agree. It's like, this one's pretty basic. We don't want anything to do with gambling. But yet when it comes to the love of money, you know, I've known people who work 60, 70, 80 hour weeks for titles, for the amount of money they make. And I'm not judging people. I'm just telling you, they, by their own admission, are trying to quote unquote, get ahead or to, you know, make more money. This is once again, by their own admission. Well, if that's your mindset, that's showing that you have a love of money. And what are the consequences of that? Well, in the case of this man's family, the consequences are his children suffer, or his wife may suffer, or his family as a whole may suffer. Now, once again, I'm not the judge. That's for God to decide. But the point is, when you have a love of money, it will lead to all kinds of evil. You can just mark it down because it takes you away from doing what God really wants you to do. And it puts you in a mindset that's contrary to God's will. Covetousness has nothing to do with righteousness. In fact, it's the complete opposite. And that's why in verse 11, here, Paul told Timothy, O man of God, flee these things and pursue instead what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, and then fighting the the good fight of faith. And so I think it's a wonderful passage here, Jeff, because it really talks about what our mindset should be and the result of us having a worldly mindset, doesn't it? Right. Well, and as we said, we're we're now getting kind of to the root motivation uh, of a lot of people when it comes to money and gambling. And that is that kind of covetous greed, you know, desire for more, not because they're legitimately laboring for it, not because they're, you know, buying and selling and getting gain in a, you know, normal, you know, context and not because, you know, they're receiving this as a voluntary gift, but trying to pry money from others uh, somewhat involuntarily and the desire for for more, along with all the, you know, the psychological bells and whistles and positive feedback loops that you mentioned earlier with the glitz and the glamour and all that good stuff. And some of it's kind of understandable. I mean, you know, we certainly live in an age where now we can buy almost anything we want, right, within reason. And I think as a result, you know, it's it's really, we, we hear this term keeping up with the Joneses. You know, there's many reasons people fall in love with money. Some can be because your neighbor has a nicer house, more cars, your friend has bigger house, bigger car, you know, whatever, right? Many reasons. But if you look at the root of a lot of those reasons to love money, the, there's not a lot of good in there, is there? Right. And oftentimes it's just to get more things. Well, and, you know, that's, you know, God who knows us best through the Holy Spirit, through through Paul to Timothy, kind of lays it out there on the line. Then, you know, those who desire to be rich fall into all kinds of things, negative things that will, you know, ensnare and entrap and enslave you uh, and ultimately cause you to lose your lose your soul over it. In fact, I think Ephesians 5 talks about, you know, covetous man, you know, will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. You know, you can't be a faithful, faithful Christian to be covetous. It, it just doesn't work. It's incompatible. And it also tells you about gambling in general, that if you're hanging around people that love money, well, evil companion, some some translations say corrupt good habits, some say corrupt good morals, but it's the truth, isn't it? Now, if we contrast this with the mindset of a Christian, well, the Christian recognizing gambling in its various forms, right? Once again, lotteries, bingos, you know, you name it. And the Christian rejects any attempts to justify participating in these different forms of gambling. The Christian will also teach his children and others could be friends and family about its evils and and ways in which kids are indoctrinated. And, you know, Jeff, I thought it was interesting earlier. I think you said something like 79% of people feel like family can be negatively affected. Right. Well, these ticket games that you see in, in arcades, I have to say people really should look at that and understand that your children are being prepped and trained on how to gamble. I mean, they are. You know, you go win this prize or these ticket games. It's You're always doing something that re- may require skill, but often it's just total chance. It's just total luck. 
if you were to look at the definition you read of Jeff of gambling, it would, would show that. You know, your stake uh, is the money that you purchase the tokens with. Chance is that chance to win more. And, the you know, there's certainly risk there. But anyhow, I, I would just ask people to take a look at that because, in my opinion, really children are being taught how to gamble by using these ticket games. They're kind of laying the foundation, so to speak. And, you know, I, I think you raise a good point because I think most people could easily see, you know, Las Vegas casino, slot machine, blackjack, craps table. I mean, you, you name it. They'll say, yeah, yeah, that is gambling. Okay, fine. Can you see similarities in, in a, I don't know if I want to use the word softer form of gambling, but yeah, we're just amongst friends and yeah, we're playing poker and yeah, we're putting money in the pot, but it's no big deal. Okay, maybe a softer form. It doesn't involve, you know, glitzy casino. Anyway, and yet when you look at the elements, yeah, it's also a form of gambling. And, you know, we've kind of mentioned even religious organizations, you know, church raffles and such. It's certainly not association with a big formal casino, but it has many of the same elements. Again, can in some ways, you know, we should look at a lot of these things and say, well, you know, is it this kind of thing? Or is it, you know, laying the groundwork that might lead us to those kinds of things and look at it through, you know, carefully, you know, again, through the lens of the scriptures. Yeah, I always found it interesting too, Jeff, how covetous is called idolatry in the scriptures. And if you think about why is that? Well, you are dedicating and devoting your life to an object, just like people did when they worshiped an idol. And that object in this case is money. Some people worship money. They don't look at it that way, but the amount of focus and the way they structure their lives says they're worshiping that money like an idol. Mm-hmm. Putting it first and foremost. Well, and I appreciate your, the, the, the side comment you made uh, a little earlier about you know, greed and covetousness and how that can you know, express itself not only in gambling, but you know, spending excessive time you know, at work and, you know, some Christians who see nothing wrong with, you know, working on, you know, Sundays, for instance, and forsaking assembling together. And, you know, their their priorities are in, in earning money, not necessarily in worshiping God, helping fellow Christians, et cetera. So this, this concept of, you know, covetousness certainly is, is manifest within the domain of gambling as a symptom, but, you know, in other ways as well. That's right. That's right. And the last little point I'll make here, Jeff, and then we'll get into our Q&A from our listeners. And that is, you know, the Christian will earn money in legitimate ways. So the passage that you read earlier from Ephesians chapter 428 is a good passage, right? Because it just talks about let him labor instead of stealing, as it said earlier in the verse. Instead, let the person, let all men, right? Labor working with our hands, right? Here it says with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. And so, yes, we have a right to earn money. There's legitimate ways, as you covered, Jeff, to earn this money. And then what do we do with the money? Would it be better to give and help others or to risk it for some prize? (laughs) Just on the surface, we'd all say, well, yeah, we should help others, right? Well, that's what God says Mm -hmm. as well. So anyhow, think of that contrast between the mindset of a Christian and the mindset of a gambler, if you will. Yep. Good points. So as I think you said, we're uh, we're to our question and answer session, which we like to end uh, most of the podcast with to kind of give people a sense of the questions that are submitted to the website on a particular subject, gambling today, and the kinds of answers that uh, would typically be given to them. So Brian, I think I, think I get the first one. You do. And uh, it's from Edison. And he asked, what is the scriptural reference to support or refute trading in binary options? Is it another form of gambling? Friends of mine who are Christians are currently engaged in it. I am doing research to find out more about options trading. So I guess, number one, Jeff, it's great he asked the question. Number two, he's a guy and a guy that's going to go do his homework, right? He's not going to just jump in because his friends are. Yeah, which is good. And and honestly, I had not heard of, I'd heard of the word options before, but I had not heard of the word binary. Yeah, that's a new one for me as well, the binary yeah. part. You're right. So I did a little bit of digging, and it is a stock market transaction where you can make a fixed amount of money if the underlying stock associated with that option reaches a certain target price. So for a certain amount of money you put in up front, if that price you know hits your strike price either going up or going down, 
you get a certain fixed amount in return. In some ways, it sounds similar to uh, what are sometimes called calls and puts, where if you think the stock is going to go up or the stock is going to go down, you can do these kinds of transactions. This, along with some other kinds of transactions you may have heard of, like you know buying stock on margin or with a loan. Sometimes you may hear of day trading and again, you know, calls and puts and such. In some ways, as we mentioned earlier, Brian, when you were talking about the stock market, there are certain some things that are clearly part of like, you know, buying and selling and getting gain, buying part of a business, part of the company, you know, via stock, et cetera, which certainly sounds you know, very legitimate. But there are some of these forms of, and I kind of hesitate to use the word investment, some of these transactions, let's just say, you know, within the stock market that start getting questionable and you know you were talking about you know arcades and it starts getting questionable and uh, etc you know for instance are we viewing as a trader if you will in these various instruments are we viewing it as a buy sell get gain kind of thing or are we now drifting into this again this love of money this sense of greed this sense of get rich quick and that may be maybe one of the main discriminators, uh, if you will. Some of these stock options or some of these um, transactions, if you will, at the very least, in my opinion, would be questionable uh, because of the amount of risk involved or certainly would be wrong if the person doing it is, you know, has fallen into the trap of, of covetousness. You know, binary options in particular, uh, honestly, I'm not exactly certain, but again, if, if the person is doing it out of a sense of greed, most definitely, it would not be something you'd want to get involved with. And in some ways, as you said, it's, it's not like you're buying part of the company. It's like you're betting. <laughs> There's that word again, betting. You know, the price is going to go in a certain direction. So I don't know. You, and, you know, you, you may have some opinions on this as well. What do you think? Yeah, I, th I like Edison, like as we said early on, the fact that he was willing to kind of do his homework. And I'm with you. I'd be very uneasy about this kind of trading for two reasons. One is... We talked about one of the negative aspects of gambling is that you're taking money from other people. You're getting money at their expense. Well, when you think about options, in, in other words, you're intelligently assuming, right? You've done your homework, so we're not going to call it gambling here, that a company stock will lose half its value in the next three months. And so, you know, you can, as you mentioned, Jeff, get a loan and say, you know, I will buy the stock for this amount when it goes to half the price it is now. And I will gain money on that. And without getting into the reasons why you would gain money, what that does is once again, if, if in fact it does lose half of its value, well, the money you're gaining is strictly because of the loss of others. The opposite's true as well. If somebody has bet, for lack of a better term, that a stock's going to lose half its value, but yet it goes, it doubles its value. Well, the person that made that gamble, if you will, and it almost seems like gambling at that point, will it end up losing a lot of money. And, and funny you should mention that because it wasn't that long ago where there's this big Wall Street brouhaha or dust up or whatever controversy over, I think it was some hedge funds and GameStop. GameStop, that's right. Right. Where, you know, the hedge fund, I mean, GameStop as a company has been kind of going down and the hedge funds, you know, highly leveraged, whatever predicted is going to continue to go down. And a bunch of individual investors, you know, started to get together on social media and said, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to run, run the stock price up in the opposite direction. And just this really big, you know, controversy. Because of their resentment at the fact that these guys were going to profit. You're exactly right. Yeah. So again, it's one of those situations where, I mean, some situations may be, you know, crystal clear in terms of legitimate ways of getting wealth. Other situations, you know, crystal clear in terms of, you know, gambling. And then sometimes we're left with these kind of questionable ones in the middle. And I think those those are the interesting situations where our attitude, I think, gets most uh, tested or exposed. Are we going to try to get as close as we can to sin, or are we going to kind of you know shy away from and and flee things that that even have this you know question associated with them? But anyway, Edison gave us a, a really good uh, question there to talk about. You ready for the next one, Brian? Yeah, and I think that also kind of falls into abstaining from every appearance of evil, right? When in doubt. When in doubt. Don't do it. Okay, so Brian, we've got one here from Bradley. And so he wrote in, he says, I was doing a little study with fellow Christians on the thought of playing the lottery. I agree with the biblical stance that the two questions on the site already addressed. 
I'm against playing for obvious reasons, but I was asked a question about the lottery from a scholarship perspective. Uh, and then he goes on to clarify, would it be wrong for a person to accept the HOPE scholarship, which I guess is an educational thing, funded by the lottery here in his particular state, which is a Tennessee? Could you help point me in the right direction for a biblically-based answer? I would greatly appreciate it. So in this case, I guess the state has a state-run lottery. Some of those funds go toward a, a educational scholarship fund. And then you have people that would uh, apply uh, for those uh, funds, you know, to go into college. Brian, what's your thought? Yeah, I think this is a great example of how this can be so confusing because you're you're taking something that's good, like a scholarship, and you're mixing it with how that scholarship came to be, which was through a sinful practice. I kind of liken it to taxes on marijuana and alcohol and lottery. I'll put all those together. These are all sins the Bible condemns, but yet it is dressed up and put out there in front of everybody as look at the good this is doing, right? And, you know, it reminds me, Jeff, of some podcasts we did early on when we started this. And that was, you know, this idea of the end justifies the means. So you have, for instance, denominations that build massive hospitals, no doubt saving lives. And so in their mind, they have the right to use church funds because once again, the end justifies the mean. Well, I think the same principle applies here. And so first, you know, I commend Bradley for his desire to do what's right and foreseeing and agreeing that gambling is a sin. And so what I would say to Bradley is, to, you know, to accept money from gambling proceeds, even for something beneficial like a scholarship, would be essentially condoning this ungodly gambling industry. And so as we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And of course, you mentioned Jeff earlier was questionable, right? As far as, you know, should somebody buy like, I don't know, a bingo, I guess, is to win a larger prize, right? right. But some of these, I guess you could play bingo or some other games where in essence, it's a contribution towards a larger cause. And so some of this requires judgment, but I would personally say that if the funds came from any ungodly means, regardless, gambling revenue, marijuana revenue, you know, once again, lottery revenues, I would stay away from it because once again, it, it just Christians should not have anything to do with an industry that promotes sin. That's just what I think. And to me, this is a clear example mm -hmm. of that. So anyhow, my two cents on that, Jeff. Right. Well, and I don't know the particulars of this particular hope, quote unquote, hope scholarship, but you know, if it is funded exclusively through, you know, lottery gambling proceeds, yeah, I, I think that's pretty clear in my mind. And yet at the same time, you mentioned, you know, matter of judgment, because I know like here in Colorado, you know, lottery and casino revenues in some cases are used to, you know, help enhance, you know, uh, parks and recreation, right? So does that mean I'm going to refuse to go to my local park or play on the swings oh, or yeah. <laughs> et cetera? And, and, you know, in that case, it's like, well, no, that's in my mind, not as clear a cut as an example of going to a source or going to a uh, thing that was exclusively paid for. Now I'm exclusively or uh, explicitly benefiting from the gambling or the marijuana sales, or if we were in Nevada, the prostitution sale, you know, whatever. So again, in some cases, kind of a, a matter of prudence and, and judgment, if you will. Yeah, it sure is. So we have another question here from Stephen for you, Jeff. And he says, I used to hang out in bars and gamble. I live alone and am quite lonely. So sometimes I get this itch on my payday and I go to the bar and gamble and Satan wins again. And I feel even worse the next day. How do you fight this? You know, I like the question, Jeff, because it really, to me, reflects what all of us go through. Maybe not with gambling, but we, we fight these battles and we have to win these battles. Exactly. And I think in likewise in the question, we see now kind of, a, as you mentioned earlier, association with, between gambling and other areas of concern. I think you mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. So we see in this particular uh, question, you know, often the association of a gambling environment with other things like, you know, bars, drinking, you know, sometimes casinos will have scantily clad waitresses, right? And as you said, in some cases, they're serving you uh, alcohol. Uh, in some cases, it's free because, you know, a lot of people find that attractive. It also helps, you know, lower your defense mechanisms where you may, you know, stay longer, spend more, spend money you, you know, don't have. 
you know, start putting stuff on your credit card, et cetera, and other kinds of things associated with the environment. Now, you know, admittedly with internet-based things in the privacy of your home, okay, some of those things are not involved. Still, we have, again, attitudes, et cetera. And I think the other response that we could give, again, whether we're talking about gambling or pornography or anger or any sin, the uh, you know underlying connection, if you will, uh, between these temptations and the emotions and potential addictions. So, you know, two two quick answers. You know, one is, as we look through the scriptures, we see a lot of verses that talk about the need to flee from these kinds of things. Turn around. It's like, you know, do we want to see how close we can get to them or do we want to turn around and run? Sometimes literally, you know, away from these things. Kind of like Joseph did, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have to literally run away. <laughs> Good example. You know, First Corinthians, you know, six eighteen. You know, fleeing fornication. First uh, Corinthians ten fourteen. Fleeing idolatry. And we say, well, modern day, at least here in the United States, yeah, we're, we're we don't have to worry about idolatry. That's that's like an India thing with you know, Hinduism and whatever. It's like, well, you made the point earlier. That's more than that. Uh, Colossians chapter three verse five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth: fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And of course, you made that point earlier, that if you're you're serving the God of money <laughs> or serving the God of greed or serving the God of gambling, if you will, you know, you're manifesting, you know, covetousness, fleeing youthful lusts, you know, 2 Timothy 2, 22, 1 Timothy 6, 10 through 11, which we've mentioned several times, where we talked about, you know, the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. But if you continue on in that same passage, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after other things. So it's, it's like all temptations, Brian. It's like, okay, I've recognized this temptation. I need to turn and quickly walk away from, and I need to turn to or follow after or add to good things. Right? So flee the bad, pursue the good. In fact, there's a almost a whole chapter, I think, over in Second Peter, first chapter, that talks about this sort of fleeing from and adding to, and some of the, at least within the context of Second uh, Peter there, talks about adding virtue, knowledge, self-control, which sometimes is associated with gambling as well, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, etc. Uh, verse 10, is a good one. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Uh, in fact, Brian, there's a, a massive amount of information tightly packed in that uh, Second Peter passage that I think we did a number of podcasts where we sort of unpacked it. In fact, there were like nine podcasts, as I recall, that were needed, necessary to, to cover the amount of material that was so packed in that one chapter. For our listening audience, uh, those would be episodes 40 through 48, adding to your faith a number of things that will help keep you from stumbling, which of course, obviously would be applicable with you know, Stephen and and the the trigger he has, so to speak, from his you know loneliness and past history of going to bars and gambling and such. Brian, any other thoughts? You know, there's an old saying that says that the, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. And when I was thinking about Stephen talking about being lonely and he gets this itch and he's bored or whatever, you know, there's many different reasons people can gamble. They're just looking for something to do or they're looking for a thrill. But of course, the Bible teaches us to look for good works that we can do, right? Fill our lives with those sorts of things, not just being idle, because unfortunately, the devil will take advantage of that. Exactly. So I think, Brian, that takes us to the last question for today's podcast, and it's for you. It comes from Kenneth. Kenneth asks, is it wrong to work in a casino or a gambling house of any kind? Yeah, it's a good question. In fact, I've seen similar questions you probably have too as well, Jeff, talking about, for instance, you know, should I deliver beer, mm -hmm. you know, or things like that. So when we talk about working in an industry, it may, could be gambling or it could be just any other type of sin. And so, you know, with the Bible teaching us, of course, that gambling is sinful, I think hopefully our listeners have already concluded that to do things like working in a casino or delivering beer or really anything related to gambling, you know, working for a company that's in gambling would really give support to an ungodly industry. And, you know, we talked about, you know, not having anything to do with an industry that promotes sin, you know, abstaining from this appearance of evil. Of course, in this case, 
gambling is an evil. But we have a really good article on our website, and I'd like to refer our listeners to that will cover some of the same principles, but also give some additional thoughts about gambling. And it's the article's entitled The Truth About Gambling, which you'll find under the section of gambling under G. So I'd like you to just encourage our listeners to read that article, consider the things that we've said today as it relates to gambling. And then Jeff, as you touched on, when you reach some more difficult decisions, put some real consideration into it. And if there's any doubt, then I'm just going to encourage you not to do it because why take a chance if you're not sure? Anyhow, my thoughts on that. Yeah, good points. And kind of as we wrap up today's podcast, like we always like to do, uh, refer our listeners back to our website at biblequestions.org. Indeed, under the topics menu item, G for gambling, also G for greed. And in a more uh, general sense, and some of the attitudes we should have as faithful Christians under C for Christian living. And the other thing I might mention under our lessons menu item, under lessons, there's a section called Christian living. And under Christian living, there's a, a, a page, if you will, that's dedicated to, quote unquote, adding to your faith which is a direct reference back to Second uh, Peter and the importance of, if you will, fleeing or shifting away from sin, sinful environments, sinful activities, et cetera, and growing and, and enhancing our, our walk as a Christian. So these and other resources are uh, always available 24-7 for our listening audience. Uh, just come on in uh, and you don't have to pay an entry fee and you don't have to worry about, you know, the lights and the bells and the whistles, uh, etc. The truth is free, right? <laughs> <laughs> the truth is free and the truth and the truth will make you free. So again, once again, we would encourage our listeners to avail themselves of those resources. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, BibleQuestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.